we're doing this as two episodes. This will be episode 31, aka episode 30, part two, uh, kind of what's ahead in 2023 and just looking back at the Australian Open 2023, uh, what some of the big storylines were. If you want, for reference, our last episode covered mostly uh, Novak's incredible performance in the Australian Open and uh, sort of big picture goat type discussions uh, gets pretty quantitative. This is sort of the the everything else uh, bucket of, of storylines and uh, relevant information. So the thing I want to start with is, is Rafa done? Like, is, is his career over? Do we think he can win another French? Uh, he looked pretty bad this tournament. Asher, what happened this tournament for Rafa? He was just really banged up. And, uh, well, the conditions didn't help him at all. So I think even if he was healthy, he, I don't expect him, I, I wouldn't have expected him to go deep. If he's done or not, I mean, we, we've been playing the same story since 2006, right? Mm-hmm. In which he, he gets a serious injury, he comes back, and then he wins the French Open, he wins another major. Mm-hmm. But given that he is 36 now, he, he, I think he pretty much is almost done. Uh, I, I do still think he can win the French Open, mm-hmm. but he needs to be healthy going into it. I think yeah, he might I, I have think... one more, one more French. Yeah, I, I do think losing in a second round to Mackenzie McDonald for him is, is pretty bad. Like his his game, his the best version of his game is is made to destroy Mackenzie McDonald. Uh, mm. I, 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 I'm not comfortable saying he can't win the French, but. Uh, I feel like he's next, maybe t- two years out from fully retiring. Uh, but he's going to have kind of. I think of all the players, he might have the the ugliest retirement. Like most injuries, uh, struggling the most to give it up. Uh, Dan, any thoughts? Well, well, what do we think Rafa's retirement or like? What do you think his arc is going to be like? You know, is he going to keep playing if he loves it? as you know number 15 number 25 number 40 in the world or do we think he's just going to hang it up when he's not making it past you know the third round i, I, I my, my presumption yeah, yeah my presumption is that he goes out you know on top on his own terms i think that he's always going to be dangerous at roland garros right like between the confidence level the shake out of the draw the fact that his game is designed just to own that surface i would never say that he can't compete um but, you know, like there's a young crop of players that are breathing down their necks. He certainly looks a lot older than Djokovic does at this point in his career. Um, and also the other piece of this, which uh, I don't know to what extent he's focused on tennis. He's always been really family oriented. They just had their first kid later in life. So he doesn't have many years of his career as a father the way that uh, Roger did or the way that Djokovic has had. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know to what extent he's kind of thinking past tennis. Do you, you feel like he's focused on making the perfect paella right now? <laughs> <laughs> Either that or he's like trying to figure out how to, uh, I don't know, take his, his child spearfishing at the youngest stage possible. Yeah, he's, yeah he's, 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 definitely, he's definitely on that. He's definitely not trying to set up like a venture capital fund with like investments in, in media and sports. No. And definitely not. I agree. I think it's a new stage of life. And just if we look at the injuries he's had of the last two years, it does seem to some extent that these are chronic or perhaps permanent. I don't know how much longer he can do injections and play. 
Would we be surprised if he wins the French this year and then retires? I would love to yes. see that. I I feel like Asher, you would be surprised. As in, I think if, if if he's if he's if he's competing at a level in which he's winning majors, I think there's no chance that he retires. I think he's, he's the type of guy who he loves competing so much that he, he's not the type of guy who just wants a fairy tale ending. He just wants to go back into the gym the next day and get ready for the for Wimbledon. Also, remember last yeah, I, year he didn't have his second loss on tour until he retired, like the semis of Wimbledon. Mm. Yeah, That's he true. came out. His his it's it is very true that his he started last year playing incredible. Um, so that's for him doesn't seem that far away, and so maybe feels attainable. I I would love to see him win a French and retire. I also agree with you guys that he's way too competitive, and he's probably not willing to do that. Uh, okay, so then another storyline. The other piece of this, sorry, just to okay. add on here, like they're now tied at twenty two. Do we? Th- I, I get the sense that Djokovic won't quit until he has the outright record. I could see Rafa being content with number two or number three in in total. What do you guys think? I agree. Kabir? No, I, I I agree. I think we've said it before. I think off the top three, Djokovic has been so consistently explicit in chasing records. He wants it <laughs> so bad. It's all quantitative from this point on. I also, I think they all know, they must know that there's, there's no way they should have as many as Novak at this point. I think Novak, if, if we say that, like, because of, because of COVID, the, the COVID year, and then the year that he wasn't able to play because of the vaccine stuff, I feel like it's pretty fair to say that he should be at 24, I think is conservative. And so I, I think Rafa would be kidding himself a bit. If he, I mean, I guess he could win like maybe two more franches if he just focuses on that. But, um, Asher, uh, yeah, no, completely agree. I think Novak should be on twenty four. Uh, to, to be honest, like w- one of the things I've I've thought about Novak for his in- entire career is that he should actually be closer to thirty because he's lost a couple of majors to Andy Murray in the, in the finals, which he should never have. Um, Didn't he lose like he six kind of, finals like one of the tournaments? Uh, I think U.S. Open. He's he's lost a lot of finals of the U.S. Open. He's lost a couple to Rafa, even though he has a matchup advantage. He lost to Vavrinka, um, lost to Andy Murray. Then he lost to Medvedev in straight sets. So I th- I think he's I think he's but, left the the most majors on uh, on the table. Yeah, but you can't. I think in the argument you can't really leaving majors on the table because you lost them is different than not being able to play them. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Okay, next up is this is the first Grand Slam where Fed is officially not not on tour. Uh, other notable absences is Kyrgios had this knee injury. Uh, Carlitos is rehabbing this semi-mebranosis muscle tear or muscle, some kind of issue. Uh, any thoughts on how that impacted the draw? This, this seemed like it could have been a great draw for Kyrgios, to be honest. Yeah, that that section of the draw, I think that the Novak section was was a lot more open. Um, I, I I predicted Jensen Brooksby to get to the semis, but that was um, a bit a bit too uh, exuberant of a prediction. Like I, I could have just stuck with someone else, like Tony Paul. Um, yeah, and then Holger Rune, he he went out. I think Kyrgios would have had a good chance to beat Novak if they had played. Why is it that 
despite how competitive the top five, top 10 is, that being said, Djokovic still being so much better. Why do we still feel that the one player that always has a chance against him is Kyrgios? He just has stuff that other guys don't, right? So he has this serve, which is the best in the world, which is always helpful against the guy who's the best returner in the history of the game. Um, he has a net game, which is top five in the world for sure. And there's just this 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 mystical quality about him where <laughs> where no one knows what he's gonna do. I also so think, I think from yeah. from Kira's perspective, like you never know what the next ball is gonna be. How do you game plan for that? Yep. And I think yeah, Kira is the type of player who knows when his opponent is trying to problem solve and he will deliberately play into patterns that you expect him to and then be unpredictable and really get into your head. Yeah, because he, he does have a few wins against Novak on tour, not, not in majors, but he has this, like Novak feeds off rhythm, right? And Kyrgios does not give anyone rhythm. A, he's, he's serving missiles, which doesn't give anyone rhythm. Then he has this and then hitting, extreme hitting tons of drop shots. grip. Yeah, he has this extreme Western forehand grip. So he spins along the forehand and then he kind of block bunts the backhand, which goes super flat and low. And then he hits a lot of drop shots and then just goofs around as well. So it's just very difficult for a guy who feeds off rhythm to play against. Yeah. I think they're playing doubles together at Indian Wells. No, no, wait, not Indian Wells. Novak is not allowed in the country. Yeah, yeah, it's not Indian. I forgot. I don't remember which tournament Kiro said they're playing doubles at. But also, is there any chance that Kiros ends up being able to play Indian Wells in Miami? Or no, we're writing that off. It seems highly unlikely at this stage. We, we we need we need a medical opinion on uh, on that. So <laughs> I, gotta, <laughs> I, I gotta look more into that. I don't have I haven't thought much about it. That's a great point. What his rehab is? We'll. Uh, I think that's something we're gonna assign to Daniel Mitchell. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll come back with a full medical analysis of sort of what what his rehab looks like. Um, okay, relevant to the Australian Open into the rest of the year. Obviously, this was a breakout tournament for Americans. First time. Really, since my early childhood, when there was like real hope for American tennis, um, in the sort of uh, the Agassi era, the, uh, there was a lot of players in the top 20 that were um, Americans. This is when you had Sampras, uh, Agassi, Courier, Michael Chang, um, others, several others as well. Um, this tournament we had uh what was it how many what, what was the statistic about how many americans made it deep in the draw the statistic i remember is that as of tomorrow there's going to be 10 americans in the top 50 and wasn't there also like the most americans in certain rounds since 2005 or something i'm, I'm misquoting this yeah yeah uh no you're right i just i just cannot remember uh yeah i don't remember the number but definitely the most in i think the second week of the slam Okay, very vague statistics here. <laughs> but for, for, but, uh, so for, for, for you, for you, American guys, which out of, out of out of this this young bunch, who are you most confident about, and who do you think has the highest ceiling? Who can maybe win a major? I want Kabir to start with this one. Kabir, you start here. So I've said this before, and I'll stand by it. I, I'm going to go with Tommy Paul. Uh, I think that he has every shot. I think he's got amazing feel of the net. Uh, he's got a huge kick serve. He moves extremely well. 
I think he's matured a lot in the last few years in terms of how his attitude is on court and uh, the shot selection. I also don't think he's peaked. When I look at Fritz, uh, obviously incredible player, but perhaps Indian Wells was the pinnacle. I think Tiafo, amazing, always a bit unpredictable, but if a threat, I maybe maybe he's peaked a bit. I think Tommy Paul still has room to improve. Um, backhand, maybe he can flatten it out a bit more times. Forehand, incredible shot, but I do think Novak exposed the fact that although he hits a pretty big forehand, it is spinny. It reminds me of like Team 2016, when he'd step inside and he'd hit a pretty spinny forehand that would sit up. Del Potro steps in, hits it flat right in his strike zone. I think Tommy Paul, if he can really start flattening that out a bit more, it's even a bigger weapon. I think Corda obviously is the next um, pick who maybe, maybe immediately we would think has a higher upside, but I think he's injury prone. And we don't who's, know. Who's... We, we don't know like the extent of this wrist injury. Maybe, maybe it's. Um, it's a minor thing. He'll be back in the new wells, but I, he, he, I think the last two years, he's had a few injuries that are concerning. And I think when you look at that and you look at how much progress Tommy Paul has made, I think he is a real steady top 10 contender. Who has a higher ceiling though? Corda or Tommy Paul? Asher? I would say Corda. I think even Why? if you ask a lot of the, a lot of the guys on tour, uh, a lot of them have been hyping up Corda at the beginning of this year. He just has a huge game, which always helps. I think you need to have something, and if you if you have if you, if that something is that you have weapons, uh, I think you're always a threat to beat the best players on tour. While if you're kind of Tommy Paul, less weapons, very consistent. But if he's going up against the best guys in the world, does he have the weapons to beat like a Medvedev? No, uh, and a- we saw quarter. We we saw quarter like destroy Medvedev, right? No, it's a great point, and to be fair, a lot of Paul's game relies on his movement, whereas Corda on both wings hits a bigger shot, absolutely. Yeah, I think for Paul, though, the one thing I think is most impressive about this tournament for him is that his draw was actually very difficult. He beat, like, more than I think a lot of the other players, he, he beat true pros in every round. Uh, mm. First round, he plays Jan Leonard Struff, who, like, I don't think that many people would want to face as a first-round match like seasoned veteran uh, plays Fakina, who I, I, I think it is a guy that like, if can really hang with anyone, incredible player, um, probably best on clay, but, but hits very big uh, beat him in five destroyed bricks, Brooksby, who I think can give anyone a problem beat uh, Robbie bats, AKA Bacala um, Roberto Bautista, Agut, uh in, in a five setter, very impressive. Then he played Ben Shelton, um, and again, wins that in a tight four-setter, um, and then gets kind of beat pretty easily by Novak. But, uh, yeah, just very impressive from him. I think it's hard to know, like, how consistent these players can be moving forward. I think we we think he's going to be very, like, be able to do this, but I'm still, like, not willing to say that I expect him to make a semi at the French or something. I think that's asking a lot. I think that's fair. I think also, I think you got to look at, like, what does it take to be at the top in today's game right now? And do you have those tools in your kit? I think Corda does. I think he's got the big serve. He's got the big groundies. I think he'll get better at net. He's a phenomenal mover. I think the injury question is legit. Uh, I don't know whether that means he'll maybe he'll change his strings or what, but assuming that he can hold up, I think he's got everything that you need to compete and take down the top opponents. 
I don't know if Paul will ever have the full suite. Now, individual matchup, I think that he's prepared to go against big hitters, great players, and he'll win. But I just don't see him as, as possessing all of the requisite weapons that I think you need right now to beat you know, the the Medvedevs, the FAAs, the Rudes, obviously Novak, you know, like it takes it takes, you know, a whole whole suite of to- tools. And yeah. also what like, about who's looking looking at Fritz and looking at Tiafo, tremendous players, but I don't know if I'm actually seeing marked improvements in their games. I see them get hot, but I don't know if their mm-hmm. games are actually improving. I think that I think that Tiafo is entirely uh he's kind of like your heat check guy in the NBA like he's going to be hit, <laughs> That's a good, hit really that's big a good like uh can can sort of um is going to be able to like like beat some really good guys and go deep in a couple tournaments. I don't think his consistent ceiling is is as high as these other guys. Um I think he's super talented but I just think his forehand that stroke is a little questionable against playing someone like Novak. Uh, and I think there's just parts of his game that breaks down. The one person I think maybe is a, is a better comp to talk about ceiling is, do you think Shelton's ceiling, Ben Shelton's ceiling is higher or Corda's ceiling is higher? Right now, I think it's Corda just because he's a more proven entity. Asher? Uh, yeah, I agree with that. But, uh, Dan- Daniel, I, haven't, I didn't watch too much of... Um... Ben Shelton before this tournament. It seems like he has a huge game. Do you think that he his he he his like potential is really high, or do you think his his deep run at the Aussie Open was just a function of um just being very young and very precocious, um, finding some form, have finding conditions that really suited his game to a T? Do you think that his game translates well to, to the other surfaces on the tour? So I think it's a bit of both, right? Like I think looking specifically at this year's Australian Open, he kind of got hot at the right time. It was a uh, somewhat thin section of the draw. Um, and and yeah, just like road momentum was kind of the Cinderella story, right? I don't think that he's going to be able to back that up like throughout the rest of 23. But looking out the next two, three, five years, like his game is there. He's got the enormous serve. He's got great movement, great reach. He's got a you know big forehand. He likes to come to net. So I think there's enough foundation to build on there. Um, I just don't expect him to be able to have like an Alcaraz type of breakout. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, spot on. Yeah, I think he presents this uh, this model though of like play, like very good pro talent players playing in college, I think is new. Ethan Quinn right now at Georgia is doing the same thing. Um, I do think, I think again, it's, it's hard to know. Is this going to be this like Tyone Chung moment where we don't hear from him again? Or is this going to mm-hmm. be, uh, is he the real deal? I think he has great people in his camp. His dad was top 40 in the world and was, is the coach of the Florida Gators. Um, I, I believe his mom also might've played some high level tennis. Uh, I do think, though, his serve is so impressive. First and second serve, really big. If he gets good coaching, I think that can become more effective. I think his backhand is pretty big, too. I really like his backhand. And his forehand, he finishes it in a little bit of a weird place, but um, massive stroke. So I, I think if he – I think he has, like, top 20 potential. I, I think it's 
very easy though to have the recency bias and just kind of think that this is what we're going to expect in the other tournaments. Yeah, despite seeing a decent amount of his matches, to Asher's point, it's it, it's hard for me to get a really confident understanding in like wh- how in what his game really looks like um, without being mindful that he came in really hot in this tournament and he's playing on a complete high. So difficult to say how that'll pan out this year as the pressure starts to build on him as well. Yeah, I do. I do think that this tournament had me thinking about how important it is, like how much better you are at tennis. If your parents play tennis, just because it's such a weird sport and you have to know like what it takes to get, like start playing at a young age, you've got, Ben Shelton's dad was a pro. I think his, we can look it up. His mom played at some pretty high level. Seb Court, his dad was top three in the world, won an Australian Open. His mom, I think, was also a professional tennis player. His his sister is top four on the LPGA tour for golf. Incredibly athletic family. Um, also a reason why- both of his sisters why, are pro golfers, right? Right, both. Okay. Uh, also a reason why Steffi Groff and Andre Agassi's kid not playing tennis is like, I think, pretty criminal. Um, he's playing, he's playing like, he's going to be playing minor league baseball or something. Uh, uh, Rublev, same. His mother was a tennis coach, played at some very high level. Zverev, same thing. Um, so many of them, ha- like Nadal, obviously his, his, uh, his uncle, uncle Tony is this like incredible tennis coach, has some professional athletes in his family. Murray's um, mother. Yeah. Murray's mother's an incredibly famous tennis coach. Um, um, isn't it Tracy Shapovalo's Austin's mother as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tracy, Tracy Austin's, Austin's kid. Tracy Austin's son had a breakout at, at the Open last year. Yeah. Went to USC, right? And then, so I don't know. Just something else I was thinking about. And then lastly, we got to talk about J.J. Wolf, who I think is carrying the torch of the meatballs <laughs> of the ATP, t- of ATP tennis. There's like, uh, tennis, just how long men's tennis matches are. I think it's very hard to carry a lot of weight on you. You see a lot of these like rangier types, uh, sort of Zverev, Djokovic, like they just don't carry much weight on them because they they're playing so much tennis. But JJ Wolf is in the the sort of more mesomorph camp of uh, meatballs that I think is an important uh, is an important corner of American tennis. So to me, the ones I think of, he, he takes the torch from. Mariano Puerta, Bagdadis. Are there any other great meatballs of the ATP in the last several decades? Mariano Puerta is a great call. I forgot, forgot about him. <laughs> Who else? Who are other just kind of big, bulky? Song is a little bit in that camp. Bagdadis else? for sure. Yeah, Bagdadis was definitely coming in tournaments like a little overweight. Anyone else? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll think about it, but I, I think I that is an a good question, though. I think we're this is running along. We can call it, or there's there's a few other things I we could hit, but I, I think we could call it if we want. What do you think? What are the remaining bets? I wanted to touch uh, quick Hurkacz, Kokonakis, and oh, we don't we don't, Sasha. Yeah, we, don't, we don't need Hurkacz. We don't need Hurkacz, Kokonakis, Sasha. I just want I want to just I, say I, though I'm, I'll say quickly. Let's on touch Hurkacz for a second. Yeah, let's I, touch Hurkacz because. Kabir, you go. No, we've been. I think that for a few years, I was I was pretty optimistic um, on Hurkacz. I saw a lot of potential there. Every time we spoke about it, I think you reminded me that oh, he seems a bit beatable. I I agree. I still thought that there was room for improvement. I don't know if I see it anymore. I know he's still young, he but 
I doesn't started, he doesn't have that dog in him. Starting to think he has. Peak. Dan had a great point. When you're six five, I don't know if you should be playing best of five set matches and having aces under uh, you know single digits. Totally. And not winning as many free points off your first serve. I, I I don't know. I don't know if I see it anymore. Dan, I just don't think that he's got what it takes. Uh, I think either he's not getting the right coaching and his game plan isn't the right way. Like if I'm Hercotch, I want to be, you know, serve and volleyer or fast strike tennis. You know, I don't I don't want to be in these ground stroke rallies. I constantly feel like he's hitting the big serve stepping back and if you look at him play he's pretty back behind the baseline right which mm. maybe is because he's so big and he needs to kind of get that time to make the rotation but that's only going to hurt him in the long run so i i kind of agree with kabir like i just i just don't see it yeah i think i was pretty high on him after was it last year's wimbledon he like was cruising and then he just had a terrible loss was that last year asher no 2021 he lost yeah to- when he beat federer Berrettini in the semifinal. Right, but and then he... And he was cruising before that. And that was... I was, like, very impressed. Um, I think he has beautiful strokes. His forehand's beautiful. His serve yeah. motion, I think, is is beautiful. And I think his his serves are really good. He just doesn't spot serve enough or something. Um, but after seeing this tournament, I'm fully... I'm selling all Hurkacz stock. I think his... Uh, the combination of his service games aren't good enough. And just... Later in tournaments, his feet get slow and he just looks very, his feet just look very slow in a way that I think you can't, you just can't do at this level. And it's something that I also um, just, I compare with Novak, a lot of players. Like I saw this also with Kokonakis. I watched a bunch of the Kokonakis matches in the Australian Open and he, his forehand's great. His serve is really great. But there's these balls where like he looks like he's off balance or stretching or has to chip his backhand when he's only moving three paces to that side. And it's the kind of shot mm. where Novak, uh, Novak can real like cover so much court and still be full in possession to take a full cut at the ball where just the Horkaches, the Kokonakis is, I think that's a big difference with them. Um, and just something I was thinking about in this recent, uh, iteration of grand slam tennis. So- I, I'm not selling all her cat stock yet, but that's only because I think How are you hedging it? What are you hedging? He's he's good on grass and no one else on the tour is good on grass apart from Novak. So Bertini. if something happens to Novak, he yeah, but yeah, Bertini, but Bertini has so many weaknesses in his game, right? Um, yeah, it's kind of it's absurd how successful Bertini's been with how many weaknesses he has, the more I, I watch him. The, the the height of that weakness was the match point he had against Murray. He missed that back. Oh, my God. Unreal. <laughs> Has yeah, any of us a worse shot on match points? I lost to this kid in the so. 12 and unders that I'll never forget. I was up, I think I was up 5-1, like, triple match point, and then I lost to him. I still remember his name, but I won't say it. So I, uh, I, don't, I, I feel like I feel like people have missed felt felt similar, um, but uh, my, my first USTA match I lost in a third set tiebreaker, and I remember the match point I was serving on the ad side. I double faulted. My opponent yelled out, "Double fault, match over, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> um, Awful. <laughs> all right, last last point. 
Wait, what is going but, on? But, uh, okay. very, very quickly, though, uh, there's another guy, actually, who's, uh, whose stock is in a very interesting position, which is Felix. Are you buying or selling Felix stock? Or are you holding? I'm Dan, I want to go to you next. Okay. I, I think you have strong feelings about FAA. Kabir and I, I think, are in the same camp where if it's we're talking about Grand Slams, I'm selling. I don't think he's going to win a Grand Slam. Dan, and then to Kabir. Okay, so full disclosure, Alex and I have a side wager as to whether or not Felix wins two Grand Slams. I'm buying. Um, I think that he was very unrefined until Uncle Tony. I think that's going to take some time to work its way through the system. But you look at his strokes, he can hit it as big as anybody. When he's doing the right things, he gets great ball clearance, great momentum on his shots. Um, serve will only get bigger. So I'm I'm still buyer. I think that having Tony in his camp, getting big match wins against big opponents that he's been able to kind of scrape together will help him as he makes deeper runs at slams. Um, yeah, I'm still I'm still buying Felix. And I think to, to Dan's point, once Rafa retires, Tony Nadal becomes an exponentially better coach. <laughs> by by really his own admission, that. right? By his yeah, own by admission. His... Kabir, anything? Are there to add? other are there other players on tour who want Tony Nadal but are hesitant just because of Rafa still being on tour and maybe some animosity and things is getting a bit weird? I don't know, but I think it's a relevant I think it's a relevant thing to be yeah. thinking about. I I'm unsure about Felix. I still think, obviously, look, incredible player. Also, it's not easy for me to sell. I want him to be good, but I'm just not yeah. convinced. I, such a good player. Has improved a ton in the last two years. Look at his serve from when he played in Miami. He hit, like, I think upwards of 15, maybe 18 double faults now. Huge first serve. Um, I think he's gotten rid of the double faults. Just something about later rounds when he's playing top 10, top five opponents, just do, something seems missing. I don't know. Maybe it's belief. Maybe it's just not enough <laughs> weapons despite hitting big off both sides. Seems a bit beatable. I, I'm, I'm unsure. Okay. Uh, but, Asher, but, but, but that, that being said, I still, I, I don't think he's peaked. Asher? Yeah, I agree that he hasn't peaked, but. He's had some bad losses in the majors, uh, the last three, four ones. Uh, after he be, uh, after he took Rafa to five at the French Open last year, everyone thought that was going to be the beginning of something. And then it, it was almost the end of something because then he had a really bad Wimbledon. He had a really bad US Open where Jack Draper beat him in straight sets. And that's my concern uh, for this year too, is that he came into the year as arguably a contender for second week, right? I you can't Yeah, yeah. Losing to Leheka, a player who's coming in hot, still, that's not a match. Leheshka, Leheshka. Leheshka. Not a match that he should be losing. In this stage in his career, yeah, I agree with that. Asher, to finish us off, what were your best bets of the Australian Open 2023? Um Rublev to beat team in straight sets in round one. That was a good one. Love it, and then and then I would say my best one was uh, Ostapenko to beat um, what, Coco, Coco Gauff. Yeah, and yeah. that that was a purely that was that was a purely uh, that was a bet purely based on the court and the balls because the they did not favor the the people with spin 
and Ostapenko hits one of the flattest balls on on the on the women's tour. So I thought that she would do well against uh, Coco, who hits especially the forehand with quite a lot of spin. One Kabir? question to round this out, and this is I think goes to a point we've spoken about at length many times, just how brutal the sport tennis is. And I want to get your opinion. Rublev getting to the quarters and getting destroyed by Joker. Sitsipas getting to final, playing well still, nothing really to show for it, losing straight sets. Do they take what do they take away from this from this tournament? I, I really sometimes think that it's so competitive, they're so hungry that I think really the only way for them to get to get to the next level is to win. And I I don't know how much to take away from this. Depends on the player. Definitely Tsitsipas, all he cares about now, I think, is getting a slam. Yeah. For Rupert, I, I, think, I think it's devastating. I, I think it's it's absolutely brutal. I think for the as field... As good as he is and have no shot against Joker. I think it feels like a race for second place, right? Yeah. And perhaps even third, depending on how um, Carlitos comes back. Or fourth, if Rafa mm. finds, you know, 2022 again. Uh, I think mm. Djokovic, the 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 mental burden he's now placed on the field running through them like that. I mean, there were matches in the other side of the draw where Sitsipas looked great and looked untouchable, and then he got completely stomped over by by Novak. Like everyone's watching that and just think this guy's got so much to prove. He's now gunning for the outright record. Um feels like a race for second. No, it's so well said. There really is like a tangible mental burden that is on the tour now. All right, last question, and it's a yes or no. Kabir, does Novak win the uh, the all four this year? <laughs> the, uh, yes. Asher, <laughs> no. Who? Which? What does he win? What does he not win? Asher, he does not win the French. He wins Wimbledon. He does not win the U.S. Open. Dan, uh, I think he wins the French. Doesn't win Wimbledon, wins the U.S. Open. I think he wins French, Wimbledon, loses U.S. Open. All right, we're ending it there, folks. Thank you for coming on. Looking forward to uh, more content this year. Maybe this is the year when Shiki Bali covers more than one tournament. Um, <laughs> we'll see if this becomes a serious endeavor or uh, something less than a uh, dilettante effort. Uh, cheers guys Asher get some sleep you're looking pretty kind of pale over there stay hydrated cheers signing off thanks guys a lot of fun see you Dan thank you